0: We're in First Peter, chapter three. I want to read the passage first. First Peter three one through seven, and then I'm going to share some comments before we dive into it together. So read along with me, starting in verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, which that word that phrase obey the word is referencing those who don't yet believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may be hindered. There's a whole lot going on in this text we're going to get to, a lot of cultural stuff that we need to unpack in order to understand it well. But before I go into teaching the text, I want to clarify something for us together as a family. And those of you who are visiting, we just want to welcome you as we learn together what God's Word has to say to us. In particular... I want to just lay out a potential thinking grid or decision-making grid that I want to encourage you to apply as you're making decisions throughout life, in particular even in how you apply text like what we're reading. Uh, you're going to be in situations that are challenging, that are full of tension, that are not always a black and white easy answer or solution. In fact, I, I would encourage you to be mindful that in order to make good decisions, you're going to need the wisdom Of God And and, and wisdom, really, uh, when it's applied, is knowing the right thing to do in the right way at the right time. Uh, And sometimes we're just like, well, this is just what you do, and we don't think about the right way to do it and the right time to do it. So as you think about situations you might be facing, I want to encourage you to start asking three questions about your decision-making process. What would most glorify God? That's the first question. In other words, what would lead to God being seen, who he really is, being praised in light of what he deserves, what would most glorify God? It should remind us of Jesus saying that all the law and the commandments hang on two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what would most love God, glorify God, be praiseworthy of God? Second, what would most help me become more like Jesus? And at one point Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second part of the law, and there's this idea that you can't love others if you haven't received love. If you don't take care of your own soul, you won't have a soul that's healthy to take care of others. So, love your neighbor as yourself. So, what would help me become more like Jesus? So, what would glorify God most? What would help me become most like Jesus? And third, what would be best for the other? What would do the most good for the other, so that I might love others? Love God, love self, love others. And the reason why I share that is because As you can imagine, the last few weeks, as we're talking about submitting to authority, and in particular, not always godly, good authority, there's there's challenging moments. There's there's kind of wisdom needed situations. In fact, I had one in particular, someone who's married to a a more abusive husband, and so that the the wisdom going into that isn't just okay. We'll just submit and live with it, because what would most glorify God is a God-glorifying marriage. Second, what would most help her become most like Jesus is not being abused. And third, what's most good for her husband is not an ongoing codependency of brokenness, but rather someone stepping in and saying, let's help you get healthy. Let's maybe call for a little bit of separation, care for her, care for you, call you both to look to Jesus, get some healing, get some health. Let's do what's good, good for praising God, good for her, and good for him. And so that situation isn't just, well, just grin and bear it and live with it. Okay, and so I, I bring that because I want to make sure that we're wise in how we apply the text that I've been teaching. And every situation we walk in is different, and we've got to be wise about how we apply the Word of God. So I offer that up first. Keep that in mind, then, as we go in to the text we're about to look at. In this situation in particular, Peter is addressing a very unique and tense-filled environment. A lot of cultural tension going on because... There's some people who've come to faith while they're married and they found themselves married to an unbelieving spouse, someone who hasn't yet come to faith. And and, and in this case, it might be a a wife with an unbelieving husband. It seems like it also is very possible there were believing husbands with unbelieving wives. And in the Greco-Roman society of that day, it was expected that a wife not have any other god other than her husband's god. Or, gets gets worse, uh, any other friends outside of her husband's friends. So a little different than our society. Uh, in fact, if that were the case here, we'd have a lot of women watching football a lot, which I think that's happening already. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is more true. I don't know. But, but you might go, well, where did you get that from, Jeff? Well, Plutarch, who is a philosopher of the day, in that particular time, said this, in fact. A wife ought not to make friends on her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are the first and most important friends. Therefore, it's becoming for a wife to worship and know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon all peculiar rituals and outlandish superstitions, in parentheses, Eastern religions like Judaism and Christianity, and the worship of Issus and Serapis. This is exactly what he's saying in this day that I am reading the letter from Peter that was written at the same time. So that's the context you're in. And then he goes on to say, For with no God do secret rites performed by women find any favor. So, pretty tense, because here's what's going on. The gospel shows up in this part of the world and, and informs men and women, slave and free, that they can have direct access to the God of the universe who created and sustains all things through Jesus Christ. That you could personally come to God through Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, the God-made flesh. And here a woman now is able to have a direct connection with God apart from her husband, through the ultimate husband, Jesus Christ. And so you got that going on. Second, she's got new friends because she's belonging to this community of faith called Christians who she meets with regularly. And so what's going on is she's got another God, another group of friends, and she's going out at times in the middle of the week, probably, to go be with them. And it looks like she's leaving her husband. So you got all that going on in a culture that says this is all really bad. And so Peter has to speak into this because he doesn't want the gospel to be compromised. He doesn't want the world to think Christianity is not good for society. In fact, it's the best for society because it brings the greatest redemption and restoration there ever could be. For society, but it's easily misunderstood because of the cultural differences. We're not in altogether a different situation, are we, right now? I mean, I, we find ourselves in a cultural situation. It's not the same as this because, in this case, women were finding greater rights, greater significance, greater dignity in Christianity than they were in the culture, and there was a real sense of honor that Christianity brought. And so there, there, it was kind of. That it seemed like it was more liberal Christianity was to the world. Uh, in our day and age, with what just happened recently with the Supreme Court decision, it might look like we're on the other side of this, that we don't, we don't see freedom, we don't see grace, we don't see love. I mean, it could be turned the other way, that we're anti-people in another way than this accusation. And so we're in this weird place, and I just want to just say it out loud, we've got to ask, what does the scripture say to how we handle ourselves as God's people in the middle of a very significant cultural challenge? See, we're called to to this missionary tension, which is to be truthful and faithful to God's word in the midst of a world that doesn't believe it, but in a way that's winsome, so it might win them to Jesus Christ. That's a missionary tension we find ourselves in. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we best glorify God? How do we continue to faithfully grow in Christlikeness? Not giving in, necessarily, to something contrary to Jesus, but rather being more like Christ-like in the midst of the world. And then how do we live for the good of those who don't yet believe what we believe? How do we bless them? How do we live as gracious people toward them? And we have to, first of all, I, I want to just say this. Family, we've got to recognize that we don't live in a Christian nation. Okay, I know that. Maybe some of you are older or brought up thinking this is one nation under God. Just be mindful it wasn't under the God named Jesus Christ. Okay, we might might have had that image, but we weren't. Okay, because there's only one nation under God, and that's the kingdom of God, of which Jesus is the king, and there is no other kingdom on this planet other than that one that will always have Jesus as king. We're always torn and divided if we think you can have an earthly government that has Jesus at the top that's not the heavenly kingdom of God. Those are not the same, and we've got to be careful... And I know as we walk through some of the challenges we've got ahead of us, if we're not careful, we'll be like people who lived in Peter's day and we'll go, why isn't Rome affirming everything we believe in the Bible? Because it's Rome! Can I just say that? Why is the United States not going to affirm everything we believe in the Bible? Because it's not the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm not saying we should not stand on the word of God, but let's, yeah, let's stop asking A nation that isn't under Christ to act like they are. That's hypocrisy. The only ones who truly will submit to Jesus Christ are the ones who see Jesus as king and belong to the kingdom of God, which is all across the world, scattered everywhere. And we want to be mindful of that as we enter into the tension of being missionary people in a culture that will not necessarily affirm what we believe. In fact, I want to be clear We still believe the Bible teaches that God made man and women's complementary individuals, image bearers of God who complement each other, and God's intent is that a man and a wife come together in the holy matrimony of marriage, and that is what God calls a covenant, a biblical marriage covenant. And we believe that, okay? So I want to make sure um, you don't think I'm being wishy-washy on this, but how we engage that belief, how we walk in a culture that's desperately wondering if we care even if we disagree. Those are huge issues we've got to wrestle through. You might be going, Jeff, how come you're going to speak on this today? Well, I I can't ignore it. And isn't it interesting that the passage that I landed on today without me planning ahead of time is chapter 3, 1 through 7. Like, okay, God, I get it. So I'm going to pay attention to God's timing. And here's the thing I want you to realize. God wasn't surprised by any of this. If you were, sorry, but he wasn't. Okay? And he's not afraid. And he's not out of control. And he's not wondering what's going to happen. God is, see, Jesus is still on the throne. The kingdom of God hasn't changed any. Jesus hasn't changed any. Even if our world shifts and goes back and forth on lots of things, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can, yes. So a key thought running through this passage that I want us to ask of ourselves today is how can we live winsome lives in the midst of a culture that may not agree with us? How do we live live winsome lives? Lives that win people to Jesus versus push them away. How do we win people to Jesus Christ? Because he's the true savior of the world. Your marriage isn't, the definition of marriage isn't. Jesus is the true savior of the world. So, I want to just walk through winsome lives in three ways. One, winsome lives are honorable, winsome lives are godly, and winsome lives are fearless. And I, Peter's going to talk to husbands and wives, and I want to be just mindful as we go through this to keep in mind you might go, Well, I'm not married. Uh, you know, I, I was, or, and now we're divorced, or I, I haven't been yet, or I'm young, um, or I am married. You know, I want you to listen in two ways. One, He's going to instruct how do husbands and wives in their unique cultural situation with all their missionary challenges, how do they conduct themselves? But what we should do is we should be able to pull back from that because all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for instructing us, whether you're married or not, in what God is like and what God wants us to do in the world we're in. So what I want you to do, okay, men, as I speak through the part that deals with wives and women in particular, I want you to remember you're part of the bride of Christ, which is called the church so keep going okay so how does the church as the bride of Christ operate in the world that needs to see how we submit to Jesus as our, as our head as our ultimate husband okay I know that might be a little weird for you guys to think of yourself that way but the church is the bride of Christ and so the instruction to these wives should be really helpful for us as a church as well to say how would we operate as a church in a culture that needs to see the same kind of missionary love and express, expression of grace in the way we operate and then Vice versa, women, as we get to the men part, I want you to realize that the men, especially husbands, are a picture of Christ as the, as the bridegroom, as the groom who lays down his life for the bride. As you listen, think through how can we all become more like Christ as we look at the commands to a husband. Okay, so that's how I want you to engage it. Okay, so, so you see it as, as a way that we as a church can learn how to live, and then marriages can be a great picture of Christ and His Church. Keep that in mind as we go through. So Peter uses the word "likewise" for both the wives and the husbands, and this word he says "likewise wives, likewise husbands" in verse one and seven. It it harkens us back to a previous statement Peter made in verse seventeen in chapter two, where he says, "In light of being servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor." This, This Peter wants them to understand they're called to live honorable lives. And an honorable life is not just one that you can point to and go, that's that's honorable. It's one that you could feel and say, I felt honored. That's an honorable life. An honorable life is where the recipient of your life felt honored by your life and the way you treated them, the way that you handled them, the way you might have even disagreed or debated them. It It may be that they walk away and go, I felt so honored by them. I had an assistant I have a present assistant named Amy, but my previous assistant before that was Sarah. And I would regularly get these, uh, when I was at the the previous church, I would regularly get these people who would would send me an email after Sarah interacted with them. And they'd say, I don't know what happened, but Sarah just rejected me from meeting with you. And I felt good about it. (laughs) I was like, that's honorable, right? It's when, when you can walk away from a situation and go, I felt so honored. I mean, we don't agree at all, but they honored me. That's what he's talking about, is that that honor everyone. Peter's saying honor everyone, including Nero. You heard me say that a few weeks ago. Nero was a wicked man. How do you honor him? Well, the key word in the middle of it is love the brotherhood and fear God. We'll come back to that. That fear God is really, really important. But he's calling them to, to enter into a situation, and this is the thing I love about what Peter does. Peter calls people to, Walk in the culture they're in, but also live in a way that potentially subverts the brokenness. Listen to how he does this. He goes, Normally, in the, in the rhetoric of the day, the philosophers would not even address slaves and women. They would just write to the masters of the household and to husbands and say, Here's what you've got to do. You've got to get your slaves to submit to you, and you've got to get your wives to submit to you. And that was the, the rhetoric. What is Peter doing? He's honoring the household order, but he's speaking directly to the slave, and this week to the wife before he even gets to the husband. It's like he knows that's the culture, but he turns it upside down, and he honors the weaker members in society by speaking to them and saying, you guys can do something. You're not just helpless victims. Make a decision to live in an honorable way in these things. I love how Peter does it. In fact, The stuff that I want us to wrestle through as a church is how can we live in a culture where we submit to the governing authorities and yet be a counterculture that's the kingdom of God breaking into the world that ultimately turns it upside down and changes it by the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we honor. Because here's the thing I've noticed. You can engage in what's going on in the world just like the world engages it. And you're not, we're not any different. And that will not subvert a broken kingdom. The way you, bro- you subvert a broken kingdom is you do something different than the kingdom you're in. And it's not just standing against it going, it's all wrong. It's engaging in a way that shows what's wrong by the way we love differently, the way we honor differently, the way we give grace differently. And so Peter, in a very, very broken culture, says, "Wives, be subject to your own husbands, "'so that even if some do not obey the word.'" Those are unbelieving husbands. They don't believe the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure, pure conduct. Look at this phrase. I love this. That even if some do not obey the word, will play on words, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to win them to the word. I want you to win them to the truth of God. I want you to win them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I want you to win them without using words to start with. In other words, your lives are a living epistle. Your lives are a letter. Your lives are the expression of the gospel changing you so when you live a new life, you win them over with your life without using a word so you can win them over to the word. Later on in verse 15, we're going to get to it, not today, but later, he's going to say, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. He is not saying, don't stand up and speak and you know, tell the truth. He's not saying any of that. He's just saying, your, wa- your lives should speak is louder, louder than your words at times. That, that you should win them over with a conduct of an honorable life. And he's speaking this to wives in particular, but please don't miss it. This is for all of us. In fact, go back to verse 12 of chapter 2. Peter says, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. This is the Greco-Roman world who is very, very oppressive, very, very broken place but be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation here's what he's saying he's saying some of them are going to be won over by the way you honor them and they're going to come to believe that the gospel speaks a better word over their lives because Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus right now, on the right hand of God, the Father, is speaking a better word over people like us who don't deserve grace and love and mercy and kindness, but rather we, we, we deserve judgment and condemnation and separation and, and punishment from a holy God. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, because of his life given at the cross to forgive us of our sin and rebellion, is now at the right hand of God the Father, risen from the dead on the third day, representing us in bodily form with a very physical body to represent you and I as humans to say, I did it for them. I speak a better word over them. And right now, in this very moment, Jesus is bragging on you and I. That's the word that's spoken. So because we're getting honored in a way we shouldn't, we can give honor to, to those who maybe we don't think deserve it. So here's the question. Are we living winsome lives that honor people? Because we're telling the truth about the gospel, what we believe about it, by the way we live. You don't live a life and separate that from your beliefs. Your life is an expression of your beliefs. So Peter calls wives to a life of respectful submission and pure conduct and You can imagine in that day, the tendency of a believing wife would be to try and convince her husband through ongoing conversation, debate, and even possible nagging no, you've got to believe. No, you gotta. Can you imagine what that would be like for a guy going, no, you don't understand, I'm totally embarrassed in front of everybody because everyone knows that my wife is leaving me on a regular basis to go hang out with these people. She doesn't even have to share my friends. She doesn't share my God. I'm, I'm, I'm being made a fool in the society that I live in. You can imagine he doesn't need one more piece of like, salt rubbed in the wound that he's going through. And It's not that it's okay that he doesn't believe, but at the same time you've got to be able to enter into that reality and go, like, he's not there yet. And now for me, this is very instructive as I look at the world to go, okay, how do we engage in respectful submission? How do we respect one another? Wives, can I just pause a second and speak specifically to you? One of the most powerful things that God has given you is that you, like our first mother, Eve, who's called the mother of all living, you have great power to speak life. Great power to speak. In fact, I, if I could just give, <clears throat> pause a sec here and say, I think one of the reasons why one of the sins that oftentimes women may struggle with is gossip and slander is because you have so much power to build each other up that when that gets turned sideways, it goes the other way and tears down. I'm not saying, guys, don't do it either. I'm just saying, there is something you've got that's so stinking powerful, ladies. I mean, well, I grew up, what my mom said to me, my dad was a very affirming dad, very loving Physically and verbally to me. But what my mom said, somehow, just has so much... I mean, when my dad said, yeah, I believe in your son. You're, you're going to be a man. Yeah, that's, that's important. I need to hear that from my dad. But my mom was with me more than anyone else. In fact, I was in her body for nine months, right? So, like, this woman gave life to me, sustained me, fed me, you know, knows me, saw me naked... Right? All that stuff, right? That's my mom. I'm vulnerable. Man, you know what I'm talking about, right? You don't want to admit this, but when your wife tears you down, it's so damaged. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Revolutionary Road with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, but they, they're kind of having this broken life in the cul-de-sac of a suburban community trying to keep the front working hard 10 hours a day, busy, 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 and there's this massive breakdown, this key scene in the movie, where she just calls him to task and tells him he is not a man. And I remember that scene in the movie, I sat there and I went, that would be the worst thing that my wife could ever do to me. Women, I want you to hear this. You have so much power to build up, but so much power to tear down. And so what Peter's saying, is like, women, wives, especially in this context, your husband's already being disrespected because of your faith. Respect him. Honor him. Build him up. Don't, don't have little pockets of community groups where, you know, ladies are talking about their husbands and like, yeah, my husband's like this and mine's like this. And I've walked in on those before. I'm like, I, don't, I, don't, I hope my wife never does that to me. I don't think she does, but maybe she does. <laughs> I want to be honored. One of the one of the greatest things a man is longing for is just just respect. And you might go, Jeff, you're not worthy of it. We you know you're a mess. Then help me, be respectable. My wife has been a huge gift to me because she does build me up. She does encourage me. She speaks life into my life. I am who I am today because of the way God has used my wife in particular. To build me up in ways that nobody else could, because she had the most power to tear me down at the same time. Wives, well, you have this power; don't miss it. Church, you have this power because we're the bride of Christ. We have the opportunity to live in respectful ways that build people up with our words. Right now, in the the the, the, the online conversations that are going on around this issue, this issue, I, I just I'm just so saddened by how quickly we are we are moving towards tearing each other down publicly have nothing to do with that. Live in an honorable way. Respect. And then live in an understanding way. By the way, let me pull back. I think one of the reasons why people often will not give Christianity a hearing is because of how disrespectful we are when we disagree. I think if we could be more respectful and more honoring, we might stay in the game of conversation. But we shut down the conversation so quickly because we dishonor and disrespect people. And everybody has been built by God in his image, whether they know Jesus or not, and they know when the, when the image of God has been degraded in them by you disrespecting or dishonoring him to the point at which they go, I can't even believe you could talk about God when I know intuitively I, I should be at least honored better than this. Okay, it compromises the very truths we teach. But then there's an understanding way. Listen to what he says to husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. And this, by the way, could be translated women because in that particular case, in, Peter uses a Greek word that doesn't necessarily translate just as wives. It could be women in your household or under your authority because in that day a man not only had authority over his wife but also his whole household, which included women. And so he says, live with them in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'm going to talk on several points on that throughout the message, but I want to hit, first of all, this idea of weaker vessel. To be clear, He is not saying that they're weaker emotionally, spiritually, or intellectually. Okay, just so we're clear. In that culture, the the weaker understanding of a woman was she had a a place in society where she didn't have nearly as much authority or power. So culturally, she was weaker. She couldn't couldn't make the kinds of decisions or engage in the same kinds of places that a man could. Also, she was physically weaker. They did, if you read much of the philosophers on that day, they believed that there was a physical... Difference in terms of the strength and weakness of men. I still think that's true. I think you can debate me, but if you're going, well, I know a woman who's really, really strong. She just works out more than men. That's the deal. But, but our bodies tell us we're different. You know, I think there is a significant difference in that. And what what Peter is trying to say is, walk in her shoes, engage in her life, understand what it's like to be where she's at. You know, one of the things that I think I might have shared this a while back with one of my friends. He, he said he, he spent a whole year of living womanly, which I, first of all, started to question him on a lot of things. Um, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, but he said, what I did is I tried to put myself in the position of a woman every time there was a conversation and how they were not respected, how they were demeaned, how they were often discarded, how they were objectified. I, went, I watched movies and I started thinking what it must be like to be a woman. As so many movies just portray women woman as an object instead of a person. And so on and so forth. He said, I wept for about a year as I thought how I never really sat in a seat of understanding to know how to care for and love women. And I thought, man, what what is Paul saying here? He's going, men, if you want to love your wives well, you've got to understand them. And I know you're all saying, it's impossible, Jeff. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, I get it. But are you trying you guys see the movie What Woman Want with Mel Gibson? You know, when he was a better Mel, I guess. Uh, still praying for Mel. I like Mel, just so you know. I know he made some mistakes, but I, I sp- he's a little crazy, you know? you know. Every once in a while, Mel does that, and I, I like that about Mel. He's like brings reminds me of broken people, you know, like Johnny Cash does, you know. Like, yeah, I like Johnny. Uh, but in, do you remember in that movie, like, all of a sudden, he gets, he gets the ability to have women's thoughts and feelings and experiences in his head all the time. Remember when he's like walking in the park and they're jogging past him and he's like, whoa, 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 and it's like hitting his head. And he, that would be overwhelming, to be honest. But, but all of a sudden, he entered into their world, you know, and he, he started to feel what they feel and understand what they experience and, and it made him a much more loving, caring man. And you might go like, uh, God, Jeff, I'm not going there. Well, you know what? Jesus did. I know you're laughing, right? But what does the Hebrews say? Jesus came for his bride, the church, And he understands her in a sympathetic and empathetic way because he was tempted in every way just like us, but without sin so he can sympathize and empathize with us in our weakness. If Jesus is willing to do that for us, are we willing men to do that for our brides? You know, One of the things I regularly ask my wife is, how can I love and serve you better? Question number one. Question number two, how can I lead and shepherd our family better? Question number three, how can you help me, or how how can I love Jesus better? You know what? She has perspective on my life that I'm blind to. And God knew I needed help and gave me a helper who is strong in a lot of areas that I'm weak. But she's also weak in a lot of areas I'm strong. So am I willing to understand her? And, and church, and th- this is the thing, the re- reason why this is so important for us is because I think men in particular, if we'll lead our households in this way, and maybe you're a single man, you're going like, oh man, I just want to get a wife. Can I just encourage you before you go any further? be an understanding man before you expect to get a wife get sisters around you in Christ that love Jesus and say speak into my life help me understand I want to I learn from you I want to be an understanding man who lives with women in an understanding way so when I become a husband I'll be an understanding husband by the, by the way the church is supposed to be the most understanding place on earth because we have the most understanding king And so we're supposed to be the people who say, we want to enter into your situation. We want to have compassion and empathy. We want to feel what you feel. We want to understand your worldview. And and the Bible's really clear. The Bible says that those who've not yet come to faith in Christ are the weaker vessels. You're going, wait a minute, Jeff, what are you doing? That seems like a leap. No, listen to me. Ephesians 2 says that we were, we were by nature children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were... We were captive by the evil one. We were slaves to sin. So we were in a place of weakness before Jesus rescued us to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. We were dead, now we're alive. We were captive, now we're free. Everyone who doesn't yet know the good news of Jesus Christ and has come to receive his grace through his life and death and resurrection, they're still living in captivity. They're weak. I know you may be in the room going, I'm not you're wrong. You need Jesus to, set, to save you, to, to rescue you, to forgive you of your sins, to take you out of darkness into light, to, to remove the, the bonds of slavery and chains that are holding you down from living the life you were meant to live. He wants to set you free. And those of us who have been set free... We've been given spiritual strength by the Holy Spirit, and we ought to say, God, will you make us understanding people who can enter into the weakness and brokenness of our world and not condemn it and judge it and reject it, but rather say, how can we love in an understanding way people who are broken? See, I'm I'm learning. I, I shared this with the staff this last week. I said, I'm learning to start to see every single human never as an enemy, but rather as either a brother and sister or a captive that needs to be set free. When I can see humanity that way, I stop writing people off or giving myself permission to hate, and I start loving with an urgency to see them changed and set free. So live honorable lives. Second, live godly lives. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 three says this. Do not let, speaking to the wives, as he's calling them to Jesus-like behavior, and, and let me just pause and say, if we're going to be respectfully submissive and compassionately empathetic, we will have to become godly people. And when I say godly, and when the Bible talks about godliness, it refers to Jesus-likeness. And you know, as Doxa, that we believe one of the key passages that we're going to keep holding to over and over again is Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only way I'm going to become more like Christ is if I get Christ in my life, poured through my life. I can't live the life of Jesus without Jesus. I need Jesus to live like Jesus. I'm not striving to become like him. I'm saying, you come in and make me like you. That's the good news of the gospel is it's not us driving it's Jesus working in us with all his power to change us. So I need this. And so Peter gives them what it might what this looks like. He says, "Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear." Pause. Just so you know, Peter is not saying it's wrong to braid your hair, put on jewelry or wear nice clothes. Okay? I know there's like been movements in fundamentalism that says, "So women like just look bad all the time." right? Now, that's not what he's saying. Just to be clear. I'll get to what he is saying. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, some cultural context before I get to the principle. The cultural context is if a woman went out alone in this particular culture and day, and she, she didn't cover up, she, she like had her hair all done up, her jewelry on, her makeup, nice clothes, it was assumed she was going out to be a woman of the night, That's what was assumed in that culture. Unless she was with her husband, of course. If they were together going out, then it was them going to a party, a social gathering, whatever it may be. But if she was all by herself looking like that, it would be assumed she was going to find another man. So now, put that into the context of the gospel and Christianity breaking into this culture, what you've got is these women going off with groups of men and women to worship jesus together to study the word together to break bread together and if she were to dress like that and go with them the assumption would be christianity is a new sex cult engaging in sexual rival or, or, or behavior that's inappropriate that would be the assumption so peter's going don't 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 be foolish limit some of your freedoms if you need to for the sake of not defaming jesus for the sake of not being wrongly understood in a way that would give people more reason to reject the gospel. In other words, live in such a way that you're willing to limit what you feel the freedom to do for the sake of others. Do you know how many times like I've like had to like endure a gluten-free meal or a vegetarian meal or a, like I was brought up in the Midwest. You eat meat. You know, but it's like okay. I know that you don't, you're kind of like against animals being killed and all that. So, and some of you are in the room going, like, yeah, thanks, Jeff. Like, I'm sorry, okay? I just, I'm coming from a different culture. So, there's sometimes where it's like, okay, we'll have a vegetarian meal for the sake of the gospel. And when you are free to enjoy really good stuff, then we'll celebrate that too. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, some of you are going to write me emails. Don't send them, please. But here's Peter saying, please be willing to do whatever is for the good of the people without compromising your faith in God or your own integrity as a child of God. And that's going to cause us to rethink a lot of things. Now, I want to say this too because this needs to be said. Ladies, the most attractive part about you is not your external appearance. The most attractive thing about you is not how you look externally. What he's saying here is, your beauty is the, the, the beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, one who hopes in God, one, one whose faith is in, in Christ. I, I want to make sure I don't say this. It doesn't mean that you don't speak. It means you're quiet and gentle. It means you're, you're entrusting yourself to God. It means that you're, you're not trying to manipulate or control or, or speak louder to overcome everybody. It's this, it's this centeredness and the confidence of God. My wife has a great picture of this. If you know Janie, if you get to know Janie, very strong woman who knows the word of God, is filled with the Spirit, is an incredibly faithful woman, and very, very strong, and she has a beautiful spirit, quiet and gentle, godliness. And you know, if you look around the world, the world's saying it's all about your external appearance. It's all about your external appearance. Can I just say to this, say this to you, ladies? Don't give in to the lie. You're going to get old and it's not going to look good. Okay? I'm just shooting straight with you. And a lot of you, you know, like, will spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on trying to postpone death. You're going to die. And, I, I, and I'm dying. My body's wasting away. And like, I, yeah, there's parts of me I'm going, man, maybe I should go get the tummy tuck. You know? Like, I'm not the only one who's thought that once, Okay? I thought it maybe twice, but uh, like, or you know, like I want to get it pulled back a little bit. You know, it's like all these things. Like, I, I had a, pa- a piece of cancer taken on top of my head, so I got one already because they had to pull it up a little bit to sew it. So I went facelift. You know, it's like cool. I got that. Didn't have to pay for it. I did, but for something else, insurance covered it. It's way to go. Uh, but here's here's the deal, right? You're going to waste away, and, and what Peter's saying, what the scriptures say is, do not try to invest all your energies and time in what is external, but give yourself to becoming a godly person. And here's the thing, family. The more that we devote ourselves to say, God, would you work in my life as I read your word and sit in prayer and depend on you and ask you to change me, the more godly the inner becomes, the more godly our behavior externally looks. You can't, you can't push out godly behavior without a godly inner being. You can't. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, Jesus says. And so it's, it's, it's what comes out that shows what's in. And so I, I need a godly character to engage in godly ways to ungodly behaviors. You hear that? I need godly character to engage in godly ways when I'm addressing ungodly behaviors. Here's what we tend to do as a church. We engage in ungodliness in ungodly ways. We say, you know what, I don't agree with that. I think it's wrong. The Bible teaches this. And we do it in ungodly ways. And what we accept, end up doing is we're just as wrong in the way we engaged it as the very thing we're engaging. We are not called to be ungodly in the way we deal with what we think is ungodliness. We're called to deal with it in godly ways. In other words, Jesus-like, quiet, gentle, spirit-like. You're going, Jesus wasn't quiet and gentle. Yes, he was. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says, he was gentle and humble at heart. It doesn't mean he didn't speak up. It, didn't mean, it doesn't mean he didn't war against Satan's sin and, and evil. But he was able to come along the broken and the weary and the sinner and come and pick them up and pour out grace and love on them and, and be one who could speak from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That came out of a gentle, quiet, humble heart who entrusted himself to God even when he was being wrongly treated. See, I... I I want to just make sure it's clear. We're not going to engage in godly ways in a world that doesn't know our God if we don't walk with our God and get changed by our God on a daily basis. We need Jesus. And I love this. As Paul speaks to the men, he says, since they, he's speaking to the men as they think about their, the women in their life and the wives in their life, he says, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Men, I know that in your culture that day, you have a lot more authority and power. So the the woman is much more weaker in terms of her cultural abilities. Second, I know that your physical body tells you you're probably stronger, so there's a physical weakness. But don't you dare look down on her. She's a co-heir of grace. He's equaling the playing field saying, before God there is no difference between men and women. She is elevated with you in the heavenly realms, seated with Christ, co-heir of grace. There's one thing he's saying is start thinking of yourself as with her, not over her. You're not better than, you're not bigger than, you're not, you're not more loved than, you are equal co-heirs of grace. Second, he wants you to hear the other side. You're just as need as she is of grace. If you're a co-heir of grace, it means you needed grace. men, I know the the, the potential, the pride of our heart, and the culture tells you, be a man, step up, don't admit your needs, don't ever admit you're weak, don't ever admit you're broken. That's counter to the gospel. The gospel says you have to admit your need, you have to admit you're broken, you have to admit you're weak. James tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If your posture is, I got it all together, and I'm better than everybody else, and I don't need grace like they do, man, they need grace then you are opposed to God in that moment. Because you are saying, I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need your forgiveness. I don't need your grace. I've got it all together. And I'm just going to tell you, men, that is just not true. I know that when I I walk into a culture that I can see desperately needs the help of Jesus Christ, but I don't also believe that I desperately need the help of Jesus Christ, then I go into a culture with condemnation and pride and arrogance instead of going into a culture on a level playing field saying, I'm just like you. I need help just like you. That's part of living in an understanding way is realizing that they need grace, I need grace. I'm broken, they're broken, we're all broken. We all need Jesus. i tell you what, it allows me to enter in new ways with listening ears. You know, when, when he says li- live with your wives in an understanding way, it means open those ears really, really big and open that heart really, really wide and walk in humility and grace. I remember Janie and I went on a double date with a couple in Tacoma just to illustrate some of this learning how to live in an understanding way it was two women married and uh, I remember me and me and the one that seemed to be more like my side of the equation in the in the in the relationship <laughs> we, we went up to the bar together to get drinks and to bring them to our, our wives and, and I, I thought you know how do I live in an understanding way here And so I said so tell me what attracted you to your wife and she wanted to tell me oh, she's you know kind and gentle and faithful and loyal and such a good friend and she just went on and on. I thought, oh, you're you found a really good friend. My whole mind, in the back of mind, I'm like, she's longing for the, a good friend. There's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, our friends are going to let us down. I know she's going to need Jesus as a better friend one day. And so we, I talked about Janie and and her being a, such a great friend for me, and we engaged at a similar level. And then I talked about how we both fail each other and we don't always have it together and how we desperately need God's help for our failures and our weaknesses that we're not going to be perfect friends all the time and, but there is one who is a perfect friend and we had this little conversation we went back and sat down with our wives again and had the meal and it wasn't much la- longer uh, that her wife left her for a man she was deeply broken hearted and she's on our couch coming to people who were living with her in an understanding way asking for help. And we got to pray over her and pray that the Lord would show her that Jesus is a faithful friend that will never leave her or forsake her. Family, we're not going to have those kinds of opportunities if we aren't willing to step into weird places and be understanding and loving and, and, and actually humble ourselves and say, I'm just as in need of grace as they are. I am. And if I can realize that, I can walk humbly with others who maybe don't know or believe what I believe yet, but I pray someday they might see and know Jesus. And then lastly, in fact, let me just ask this family. I want you to think about this. How would we handle things differently if you and I were to be as gracious to others as Jesus has been to us? How would we handle things differently if we were as gracious to others as Jesus has been to us? It's a question I want you to keep asking. Lastly, live fearless lives. One of the things I've discovered not only in this situation that we're facing right now, but in many others, is that fear tends to control us a lot. And when we become fearful, we actually start walking not in the spirit, but in the flesh. And we do things that are oftentimes very destructive, very antagonistic, very prideful. Because we're operating not in submission to God, but in submission to the fear of man. And whatever you fear most will control you. And if what you fear most is not God himself, then what you'll be is controlled by some other God. In fact, this is what 1 Peter 3 says, For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God it's important they hoped in God the fear of God by the way is not I'm running away from God but rather I know that he ultimately is in control of all things and at the end of the day he will make all things right and he is the judge of all the living and the dead and so there's a day I will report to him and I'll I'll be held accountable for every careless act and thought I've ever engaged in and yet at the same time this is the God who not only is the just but the justifier of the wicked like me who needs the grace of Jesus poured out the cross so I can stand before a God that I shouldn't be able to stand before like, that's fear. That's a holy awe of who he really is and what he will do in the end. He will make all things right. So the holy women who had a quiet and gentle spirit hoped in God even in the midst of times where it looked like things were really bad. So says, this is how they used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Little note, that doesn't mean big L, Lord, like worship. That's just like a, a term of, of respect, like Sir. All the women in the room are going, thank you, Jesus. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Listen to that. He says, you do not fear anything that's frightening. There's something that's going on here. He's referencing a couple different passages in Scripture. One is probably Genesis 18, where Sarah does refer to Abraham as Lord. But the other, I think, is Genesis 12, 10 through 20, where Abraham goes into Egypt. You might remember, he tells her to say to people that you're, say, tell them you're my sister, he says really? This is the father of our faith pimping out his wife. Right? Horrible. Because he's given what? To the fear of God? No. In that moment, he's given to the fear of man. He's wondering, what will happen to me if they find out you are my wife and they want you? They'll kill me. And so he becomes controlled. In that moment, just a little brief parentheses, Abraham is like an unbelieving husband. Okay, there's something going on. Peter's going, don't miss it. Even the father of your faith acted like an unbelieving husband at one point. And what does Sarah do? Sarah submits to it. And you go, like, Are you kidding me? Now here's what she did. She hoped in God. Pharaoh then gets these crazy, you know, like uh, afflictions from God and plagues and wakes him up to the reality he's got sin going on right underneath his household, and he's got to get this fixed, or something's gonna be really bad for the household of Pharaoh. So he finds out what it is, finds Abraham, and goes, What were you doing? Why did you put me in that situation? Here's your wife. I'm not supposed to be with her. Here is a pagan man, an ungodly man, a non-God-worshipping man doing what God wants because Sarah is submitting herself not primarily just to her husband, but to the God who can change every situation. My wife regularly tells me, Jeff, you know what? Just so you know, I I, I submit to you, but only because I submit to Jesus. Because you're going to mess up, but he won't. And here's Sarah She entrusts herself to God, and God rescues her in a very broken situation. And Peter is referencing that moment to say, do not fear anything frightening. Notice what he's saying. He's not saying, don't fear. He's saying, don't fear what is frightening. In other words, that's a frightening situation. There are real frightening things going on. There may be a day when many of us lose a lot of religious freedoms in the coming years. Don't be surprised. It'll probably happen. It may be frightening. Don't fear it don't fear what's frightening fear god proverbs nine ten. the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom remember i started with this saying we've got to learn how to act wisely doing the right thing in the right way at the right time requires the wisdom of god and you know how you get it you start with fear of god you say god i want nothing else to be more controlling in what i do than you I don't want the culture to be more controlling. I don't want my friends to be more controlling. I don't want Facebook to be more controlling. I don't want anything else but you being the one that I'm submitted to, and I want you to teach me to be honorable. I want you to make me godly. I want you to help me walk in fear of you only and no one else. Free me from it, God. I don't want to react out of fear. Many of us, we got the news this last week, and we went, What are we going to do? Don't be afraid of anything frightening. Fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. And then he says, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to know how to live in an understanding way? Get to know Jesus. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And as you get to know him, you'll know how to love others like Jesus loved you. Can we, can we start to live in the fear of the Lord instead of the fear of man? Can we devote ourselves to be known by God and then to know God? Can we devote ourselves to say, God, as you honored me in ways I shouldn't be honored, I want to honor others. You were godly, Jesus. You were perfect, the God-man in everything you did. It could, could you teach me? Could you make me more like you in the way that I love the world? See, I, I don't know how to do this apart from Jesus. I can't. In fact, if I could just encourage you, when we come to the table in a few minutes, some of you need to come to the table and go like, "I've not been honorable, I've not been godly, and I've been living in fear." And you know what? That's all sin. It's all sin. And that's what Jesus paid for. You're forgiven. Receive grace. Receive grace from the only one that's truly honorable all the time. Why, as you might be struggling, I'm in a hard situation. Jesus fully submitted himself to God the Father, to the hands of sinful people, for you and me. He was gentle and quiet and meek, but spoke up on our behalf at the last moment so that we might be saved. Go to Jesus, not only for the grace you need for to forgive you of your sins, but for the help you need to live like this. Because not only do we get forgiven, but we invite him into our lives and say, Jesus, live your life in and through me so the world might see the truth about you. Amen. you may go, I I need help. There is no better understanding man than Jesus, and he will teach you how to love your wife in an understanding way. And where you have it, seek his forgiveness, and he offers it. It's already given to you at the cross. He already died for your sins before you ever committed any. That's amazing. That's amazing. He's here for you. He loves you. And there's a world that needs to know the grace of God and the way we honor, live godly lives, and live in the fear of God and not the fear of man. May God help us. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we acknowledge that there is still so much to be taught. There is still so much to be formed in us. Jesus is so amazing. He is so amazing. His grace is so amazing. His kindness is so amazing. He's the truth of God and the grace of God in the same person. We need that. Jesus, speak truth to us. Lead us to grace at the cross. And then teach us how to be truth, grace-filled people to a world that desperately needs you. I pray you teach us to be winsome. We don't want to compromise what we believe. But we don't want to lose a hearing because we compromise it by the way we love or lack of love. He just to love like you Jesus help us We need your help in Jesus name Amen